Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, back with Robert Hastings, author of Confession, Our Hidden Alien Encounters Revealed. Robert, as you mentioned, you're almost 70. Why did you wait so long to come forward with this abductee story about yourself? Well, I'm perfectly aware that it's the most controversial aspect of the UFO phenomenon. Persons who are willing to accept the, the nuts and bolts cases, many of them just can't bring themselves to accept that the abduction phenomenon is real. And over the years, I was getting very favorable treatment from the media. Uh, As you mentioned, I held a press conference in Washington in 2010, and CNN streamed it live, uh, which event we had seven uh, Air Force veterans describing UFO incursions at nuclear weapons sites. And all the local media around the country when I was on the college lecture circuit was treating me very objectively and favorably. I have tried to to get public attention, media attention for the UFO phenomenon as a respectable subject that should be studied by journalists, if not scientists. And I knew that if I confessed what uh, I've been talking about tonight, that probably I would never get a journalist to show up at any of my events again. So I just bided my time. It was uh, it was a you know premeditated decision to put this off. But I knew at the same time before I left this earth, I would be talking about this publicly. And uh, Bob Jacobs, my co-author, who is best known for the Big Sur UFO case, uh, for those of your listeners who are not familiar with that, mm-hmm. back in 1964, he was the head of a photographic team. filming missile launches uh, off of Vandenberg Air Force Base over the Pacific Ocean. And in this one test, they were testing a dummy nuclear warhead. When they developed the film and analyzed it, they saw this disc-shaped object with a dome fly in out of camera frame, circle this dummy nuclear warhead, and fire four different beams of light at it, at which point the warhead began tumbling into the ocean and fell several hundred miles short of target. Now, according to another officer named uh, Florenz Mansman, Major Florenz Mansman, uh, CIA agents, too, came and confiscated the film and took it God knows where. Now, Bob was just told this incident never happened. He was not officially told it was top secret, which it was. Uh, he found out 20 years later from Major Mansman that the CIA said this is top secret. But all... Bob was told was, you know, this never happened, don't talk about it. Well, he waited 20-something years and then wrote an article about it and began getting death threats. Um, So that's his military story. But around the same time, in the mid-'80s, he began having experiences similar to me of entities in his bedroom uh, interacting with him in some manner. And he's also had incidents where on a dark, deserted road out in the middle of nowhere, his car has been followed by a large illuminated object, and uh, he's had missing time experiences. So uh, in 2012, quite by accident, uh, we were talking about nuts and bolts cases, and I just decided I would let him know that uh, I had a secret life. I had these incidents going on. Much to my surprise, he said, so have I. I thought he was joking at first, and it became quite clear that he wasn't. So Um, this past December, well, actually December of 2018, 
he and I decided we would write a book and come clean and come out of the closet, so to speak. So it's 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 been interesting. Uh, we've gotten very favorable favorable feedback for the most part from people who read the book, I'm happy to say. Yeah, you did. You both came out in a big way, and I'm, I'm glad you did, too. I think it just continues to add to your credibility. Robert, give us a couple of these missile silo cases that you can relate to us, because they are fascinating. Uh, probably the most dramatic one I've heard uh, occurred at Minot Air Force Base, North Dakota, in 1967. I interviewed a retired missile launch officer named David Shure, S-C-H-U-U-R, and uh, I think I've got an article or two online people can look up. But he told me that, uh, first I should say that with all the veterans, before I start interviewing them, I asked for their DD-214, which is their military service record, just to verify that they were at the bases they said they were in the job positions they said they were. And once I've established that, what David Shore told me was, uh, he's a missile launch officer. He's 60 feet underground in a launch capsule with another officer. They're the guys, if war war ever occurs, they will turn keys and launch 10 missiles. He suddenly gets a frantic call from a guard up at topside, ground level, saying, sir, there's a disc, bright disc-shaped object hovering over. I believe it was Echo 6, but he couldn't even remember so many years had gone by. And no sooner, you know, before he could say to the guard, what? <laughs> you know, yeah. his miss- missile six went into launch mode. Echo six missile went into launch mode. And he could see that on his console down in the in the launch capsule. And, you know, which, you know, if this had completed to launch, it would have been conceivably World War Three. So he flipped what's called an inhibit switch. No sooner had he done that, the guard calls back or another guard says, okay, it's now over E7. No sooner had he got that report, E7 goes into launch mode on his console. He has to flip the inhibit switch again. He said that happened probably to six or seven or eight of his missiles that night. And um, so we know from documents that George Knapp uh, really smuggled, is the correct word, out of Russia in 1993, uh, there was a Russian report, a Soviet uh, army report about an identical incident in Soviet Ukraine in 1982, where a UFO hovered over a, a nuclear missile base and suddenly several missiles went into launch mode. Are they trying to start uh, a war, Robert, between uh, the nations? That's what I was just about to go. Uh, you, you read my mind. In my opinion, uh, they, they're not trying to do that. What they're trying to do probably is figure out how the weapon systems work. If they can program them to go into launch mode, they know that the launch officers have the capability to disrupt the launch, I'm right. assuming. And they're basically trying to see, okay, if we activate it, what happens? What do the electronics do? Presumably, they can monitor that from these craft and figure out uh, how the systems work. In the event that there's an actual war, in my view, uh, the purpose would be to disrupt the launches, both here and in Russia. Now, I don't know what went on there, but I don't think that it's highly likely that, that they were trying to start World War III. And then they just take off? Is that, is that what happens? Uh well, yeah, the miss in almost every case after they play games with the missiles, then they zip, you know, they zip away at a very high rate of speed. That's virtually true in every case. Is the initial concern 
Who owns this craft? Could it be Soviets at the time? Well, the, the thing is, uh, if, if, you know, first of all, there's no evidence, there's zero credible evidence that these craft, which began to be sighted uh, in the late days of World War II, no one on Earth was flying disc-shaped craft that could fly thousands of miles per hour, stop on a dime, do 90-degree turns, do zigzag flight. No one. There's zero credible evidence. No matter what you read on the Internet, the Nazis had nothing like that. They had some things on the drawing board that never got off the ground. So suddenly, out of, out of nowhere, at the end of World War II, you have what seems to be a third party who possesses technology that is orders of magnitude beyond what we had, the Russians had. And uh, the nuclear weapons cases, there's at my website, ufohastings.com. If you go to the documents page, you'll see documents from the FBI, CIA, and Air Force as old as the late 1940s, where they're describing saucer-shaped objects hovering above nuclear weapons sites. Uh, the laboratories, Los Alamos, Sandia, Oak Ridge, Hanford, uh, where we were manufacturing nuclear weapons, disc-shaped craft, clearly knew where those sites were and were routinely, I mean, just on an ongoing basis, seen, according to these uh, U.S. military and intelligence documents, hovering over these sites repeatedly through the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, so, you know, again, there's just zero evidence that the Russians are behind this or any other country. What's your biggest concern about what happened back then? Uh, to put together that news conference in 2010 was pretty monumental. Um, I was, uh, I was frankly, Bob Salas, who is a retired uh, former, I should say, nuclear missile launch officer. Bob Salas and I co-sponsored that. I remember. And that. we, again, we were just trying to get some respectability for the subject. Uh, we put, put out a press release. It was on the Reuters news site. It was the most read, most shared uh, news release or news story for about four days in September of 2010. So we were, we knew we were getting worldwide attention. We had several different journalists show up. Uh, CNN once again streamed us live, which Bob and I were looking at each other like, well, this is better than we'd hoped. <laughs> exactly. uh, but, you know, the news cycle being what it is, and, and every bit day it's a new story, you know, they, they're a new hot topic. Within a week, it was just like we'd never talked to anyone. There was no follow-up. We made the, the veterans, including Bob, there were seven of them who had stories to tell about uh, these kinds of incidents. No one, not one journalist contacted oh, any of them, geez. even though their numbers were made available. So it was just like, you know, the media moved on, you know. And, um, I mean, as, until this big breakthrough with ATIP in uh, December of 2017 being covered by the New York Times, mm -hmm. Lou Elizondo and the other people who come in, came forward and said, you know, we've been studying this secretly quite recently. And uh, I've spent, uh, I won't go into the details, but I've spent seven days with Lou Elizondo in the last two years. Uh, he was at my house for two days about a month ago. What do you think of him, Robert? Uh, I think he's sincere. I think he probably has a genius IQ. Uh, I have a little bit of a physics background. We discussed in great detail the physics behind uh, uh, manipulating space-time, our universe, so that faster-than-light travel uh, is, is possible, theoretically. Uh, we discussed other scientific subjects. 
I, I really, without exaggeration, think he's a very, very bright guy. And the real uh, deal? Uh, he's the real deal, in my opinion. Um, he's frustrating a lot of people because he's, he's only going so far in what he says publicly. And I've said in my new book, uh, he's talked to me about things off the record that I'm not really at liberty to, to repeat, repeat uh, just on an ethical basis. They told me they were off the record. So he's very sharp. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. I'll just say that. And I think what he's trying to do is uh, not scare people. I think he's trying to get people to pay attention, but he's, he's not going to give away everything that HIP looked into. And I just have to respect that decision. But he's not a disinformation agent. I mean, he's already in my new book. I describe both he and an ATIP physicist named Harold Putoff and Senator Harry Reid, who got the whole ATIP ball rolling right. in Congress. Uh, those three guys have now publicly on a number of occasions talked about the nuclear weapons cases. They have gone, each of them, so far as to say that UFOs have shut down our nuclear weapons temporarily. Now, that has never happened in 70 years of the cover-up. And so they're not disinformation agents. They're willing to say that dramatic information on, on the record, but they're not going to give away the whole show at this point. They think, uh, speaking, you know, my interpretation of what Lou told me, he thinks the public really needs to be uh, not given too much information all at once uh, because... It's a lot to absorb. So he's taking it one step at a time is the way I would put it. It's it's an amazing story that it's been happening. Where, where was the UFO help in uh, 1945 when we launched uh, and detonated uh, over Hiroshima and Nagasaki? I've been asked that. I have no answer for that. Um, it's clear. Well, one thing I can tell you, and uh, both in both of my books now, I have uh, I've tape recorded all of my, my interviews with the veterans. Um, I interviewed a gentleman named Bud Clem um, in uh, 2009, and he was a Navy pilot during World War II. They were out on a carrier in the Pacific. Suddenly, their squadron was was uh, transferred to what's called uh, Naval Air Station Pasco in Washington State, right across the river from the Hanford site, which pl- produced plutonium for the Trinity shot, the first nuclear test. And then the Nagasaki bombing, uh, the Hiroshima bomb was uranium-based. But all the plutonium that went into thousands of weapons over the years was produced at Hanford. Bud Clem told me in 2009 that on three occasions in January of 1945, his prop-driven Hellcat air, uh, aircraft, Hellcat fighters, were chasing away objects that were bright balls of light that flew so fast they couldn't possibly catch them. And I know independently through the work of researcher Jan Aldrich that the 4th Army had actually tracked these three objects independently on Army radar. So as early as this was like six or seven months before we bombed Japan with the atomic bombs, uh, we have uh, Army documents and we have a Navy pilot saying that UFOs were flying over our nuclear sites. So they've been on it, you know, as to why they didn't intervene with the bombings themselves. I, I don't know. I don't have an answer. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.